It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Growing up in a military family, Casey Aglis was always ready for the next adventure. I love how brave she was to walk into a new quilt guild to find home. And I'm so thankful that she's also a member of a Quilter's Life Facebook group. Hi, Casey. This is Paula Chamberlain. How are you? I'm doing fine. Great. Thank you so much for being willing to be on A Quilter's Life. I so appreciate it. Like I said, I'm looking forward to it. That's great. Let's start with, where were you born and raised? I was born in Haley, Idaho, but I was raised all over. My dad was in the Navy. He was a CB. So we lived in several different states, several different countries. Oh, well, not just around the United States, but all around the world. We were in Japan twice, and I started school there, and then I graduated from there. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. And then we were in Alaska when it became a state. Oh, wow. I lived on an island out in the Aleutian chain called Adak. Oh, neat. <laughs> Was there a big celebration? No, because the island was small. The whole island was the Navy base. Oh, okay. And if they did have celebrations, I don't remember because I was in grade school at the time. Yeah. Do you have a special childhood memory that stands out? Oh, wow. I have a lot of them. Let's see. As a youngster, I think my favorite memory was... Again, when we were in Japan, and we took this trip, and we took our maid with us, we went all over the main island to all these different areas like Osaka, and we didn't live in Tokyo, but we'd go up to Tokyo. So we got to see a lot of the shrines and different things, and so I always remember that. How cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there some other memories you want to share with me? In high school, my graduation, that was pretty good. There was a fella that had been in my first grade class, and he was in my graduating class. And then our teacher was still teaching. She was teaching down in Okinawa, and she and my mother had kept up correspondence. And so she came up for our graduation. Oh, wow. Not everyone gets yeah. their kindergarten teacher yeah. <laughs> at their high school graduation. Yeah. That's really neat. And I, I thought it was neat that the fellow was there for the simple reason that being in the, a military brat, you don't necessarily stay close to the different kids. It's not like when you live in one town and grow up and go to one school. It's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I enjoyed it. All my dad had to do was come home and say, well, we're going to go to whatever station. I was ready to go. I said, okay, let me pack my suitcase. A new adventure, huh? Yes, yes. So that's something, if he was in a military family too, it's amazing you both started school there and ended school there. 
yeah, his dad was in the army. And then, of course, my dad was a CB. He was in the Navy. Mm -hmm. I think he had some younger brothers and everything. But, you know, juniors and seniors didn't associate with freshmen and sophomores. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you do after high school? Well, I graduated in May. And then we weren't ready to leave to come back to the States until February. So there wasn't really time enough to do much. I was able to take classes through the University of Maryland. And the classes were held at the high school at night. And so I took several classes there. And it was kind of fun because I had the parents of the kids I went to school with were in the classes. Huh. So that well, that was unique, I thought. <laughs> and I took special services, had all kinds of classes and stuff. So I learned how to make a Japanese doll, and I did flower arranging. So I took things like that. So it was kind of fun. I didn't have to get up and go to school in the morning. Yeah. Wow. And that was nice. So then when we came back to the States, I had another semester that I had to wait because we didn't get to the new station in time. So I got a little job at the exchange. And I worked for them until the following fall when I went to, at that time, it was called the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Now I think it's, I've forgotten what they call it now. Something different. They keep changing those names, don't they? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm curious. You said it wasn't the commissary, but it was the exchange. Can you explain what the exchange was to me? Okay, the exchange was kind of like sort of a Walmart. It didn't have the food. The commissary had the food, but the exchange had clothing. It had dishes. It had records, items like that. Okay. Home items. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then share with me about your employment. Oh, wow. Let's see. Well, I didn't finish college. So my daddy got stationed in Las Vegas, Nevada. Believe it or not, there was actually a Navy base there, very small. <laughs> my parents got divorced, and so my mother and I stayed. So I went to secretarial school, graduated from that, and trying to get a job there, it kind of a, this was back in the late 60s, early 70s, and it was kind of a who you know, what you look like, and how much money you've got. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know any three, so I finally went into the casinos. I had avoided that because I didn't want to learn how to gamble. So I went in and I became a casino cashier, which is a big cashier that when you've played the tables and that, you take your winnings and cash them in for cash. Okay. So I did that for 10 years. And then I got an opportunity to come out to California to work for an aerospace company. And I came out and I worked for them for about 18 months and got laid off and thought, well, I could have stayed in Vegas for that. But a friend of a friend talked to me and everything, and I ended up working for the Los Angeles County Probation Department for 27 and a half years. Wow. So That sounds like I a wasn't tough a, job. Well, I wasn't a deputy. I was a supervising typist clerk. But it was really interesting because... The last position I had, we dealt with new cases, the drug cases and light cases, not the heavy cases. And people would come in 
and we do up a packet and give it to the deputy probation officer, he would interview the person and set up a restitution. And then, you know, they'd go and then we took and got the paperwork all together and got the file sent off to where it needed to go. And it was interesting in that I had access to several different computer programs. Some of them were probation, some were the county systems, and then a couple of state systems. And so looking up information on these people to see if they had aliases, if they had cases in other states, that type of thing. Wow. There's always a lot of detail to jobs that we don't Mm -hmm. always think of. But you got to do Mm -hmm. a lot of the background work to help, huh? Yes, I enjoyed that. The first 10 years I was there, I worked on the juvenile side. The juvenile and the adult sides were separated. And I worked for a unit called the camp's headquarters. And we basically did on paper until the very end, tracking the kids in and out of the 19 camps that they had there in L.A. And we would get reports in the morning from the camps about who had left. And then we'd mark them on cards. And then we would get a second report of who came in. And then we had to enter those into the mainframe. Mm-hmm. We put the information in there. And we tracked them on papers, what we did, until they graduated. Yeah. And it was neat because I got to go all over the county and got to go to all the different camps and everything. And then there at the end, I was putting too many miles on my car and everything. So I got a transfer to the adult side to an area office called Firestone. And that was only six miles from home. So that wasn't bad. Oh, good. Yeah, L.A. traffic is quite Mm. busy. (laughs) (laughs) I see it on TV now and I go, oh, God, I'm so glad I'm not there. (laughs) Where are you living now and how did you get there from where you were born and raised? The only time I was in Idaho was when I was born there. We left when I was three because my dad was called back into the Navy for the Korean War. And he stayed in. I was living in Southern California and it was getting so expensive to live there. So I decided I'd better leave while I could. (laughs) And I had finally met my stepbrother and his family. They lived in Spokane, Washington. And I had always liked the Northwest. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll check it out. So I did. And I thought, okay, I can live here. So when I retired, I moved up to Spokane, and I've been here ever since. That was a big move. It was. I kept telling everybody, oh, it's a new adventure. It's a new adventure. It's like, yeah, that might have worked when I was younger. (laughs) I don't know if it was that big of an adventure anymore. Because it seems like I came up here, and I broke my femur. I had my right hip replaced. I had my left knee replaced. And I've only got my left hip left because I had the right knee done down in California. And it's like, holy moly, every time I turn around, I was going to surgery. Oh, no, I don't think that's the adventure you were looking for. No, it wasn't. In fact, there's a rehab place here in town called Royal Park. And they used to joke with me every time I'd come in there, you know, they said they're going to put a plaque up on my room. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Besides quilting, 
Are there other crafts you do or have done over the years? Oh, wow. Let's see. I got my teaching certificate in hobby ceramics, but I haven't really done anything with that in a long time because that's kind of, except for pockets, that's kind of fallen out of favor. You don't see. And then again, everything is so expensive anymore. I do counter cross stitch. There's quilting. I've done Brazil work, regular embroidery, cruel work. I do a little oil painting, acrylic painting. Everything interests me. Uh-huh. So I try it out and see what I like. I like cooking, although I haven't done much of that in the past five or six years. I love to read. I'm a vociferous reader and watch TV. I have the YouTube channel. <laughs> That's my favorite channel. <laughs> I watch the kittens and the quilting. Neat. You mentioned Brazil work. I'm not familiar with that term. What is that? It's the threads that you use. They're like rayon and not smooth. They're kind of bulky. Okay. And you use the bullion knot is one that I can remember right off that is in there. So they're that type of stitch. And I still have the workbook, so I probably could get in, maybe do something with it. (laughs) I was just curious there. A question I'd like to ask is, do you think some of your hobbies show up in your quilting? Yeah, they do. When I make something where I'm embellishing it, I'm using the silk ribbon, the beading, things like that. I use in the quilts. Mm-hmm. And I've been watching a lot of art quilts on TV, and I'm sitting there kind of getting itchy fingers to try some of the projects that they show. Have fun. So, mm-hmm. Who introduced you to quilting? It wasn't a particular person. Like I said, I lived in California, and I hadn't made any friends. Yeah, you know, the people I worked with, they were married and had kids, and nobody lives close. Everybody's spread out there. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of down in the dumps of that. Well, my car finally died, and I went over and I bought one. And on my way home, I saw a sign for a quilt shop. And I thought, well, I might be able to check that out. So I went in there, and I ended up signing up for a class. But I was talking to the lady. I said, is there any place around here where people get together to sew or do something. And she said, well, they had just started a quilt guild in Long Beach. And she gave me the number for the lady and said that they just had their meeting, but the next one was coming up. So I called and she told me when we met and what time. And I was down there and I walked in and I just, everything that I could buy, I did, you know, as far as like you sign up for a challenge. And you get a little packet of things and you put in there. And uh, so different things they had. And I felt the first time I walked in, I was home. That's how I felt. So all the ladies in there were basically my first teachers, got me into quilting. Because they were all so friendly. They were all so nice. They'd show me different techniques. And we had workshops every month. And uh, really well-known teachers would come in. And I did every workshop. So it was really nice because then I really got to learn a lot. Some of the ladies belonged to three or four quilt guilds because I think they had at that time 
about 88 down in Southern California. And so they belonged to other ones. So they would take me along to see that. Then I heard about the Silomar <laughs> and empty spools. So I started going up there. And I went there, I think, about five or six years. And then I went up with a friend to Alex Anderson's retreats up in Livermore. And I did that for about four or five years. And then I kind of got away from all of that. I mean, I was still with my groups and that, but then I moved to Spokane. Mm-hmm. And Spokane is a whole different thing. <laughs> Where our guild in California met every month, here in Spokane, they only meet four times a year. But it's a big guild. There's about six to 800 people in it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they have like two meetings a day. They have one in the morning and one in the evening. And they have guest speakers And then they have the workshop with the speakers that come. But again, it's only the four times a year. The one program that they do have, and I love, it's called the Quilting Bee. And you meet four times a year, but we meet at this facility. And you can work on anything you want. People that aren't members of the guild, they can come in. So it's nice because I can bring friends I live in an assisted living facility, Mm -hmm. and so I can bring a couple of my friends with me who don't quilt, but they do other things. And so we come, we have a potluck, and it's really nice. I feel comfortable there. Nice. I'm glad Mm -hmm. you found a place up there. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we haven't been meeting. It's been hard. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quilt? Actually, I have two. One was a workshop I took, oh, I can't even remember how many years ago. And it's got an African feel to it. It's these ladies that are dancing. Mm -hmm. It's not a real big quilt. And then I have another quilt that one of the things we used to do in my guild in California, we had what we called Secret Pal. And what we would do is we would fill out a form name and things that we liked, didn't like, stuff like that. And then we'd turn them in and somebody would facilitate it by giving us someone else's name. And we would take that and each month we would make a block from the information that was on this sheet. And then at the end of the thing, which was usually started in January, finished in December, we would reveal who was the person we were giving to and they were giving to us. And it was a lot of fun anyway. I have a quilt here that everybody wants, and they're not getting it. (laughs) She did applique cats and these really bright, beautiful colors. And then a fellow that was in our guild, he quilted it, and he made it look like balls of yarn going around between the cats. Oh, It's a darling quilt. Yeah, I love it. It's not one of mine, but I really like it. Oh, yeah. When you're working on your quilts, is there a tool that you just love to use? Well, I don't know if I love it, but I seem to use it a lot. And that is the seam ripper. (laughs) The old ribbit, ribbit, ribbit thing. I think I like to use mostly is my stiletto when I'm putting the blocks and stuff through the sewing machine. I tend to like the stiletto the best, I think. Oh, neat. Mm Mm-hmm. It's handy. Yes, it is. And then, of course, I like my books. I have a library of quilt books that is unbelievable. (laughs) 
So I go through them and find things that I want to make. Yeah. There are so many mm-hmm. things to put on our list, isn't there? Yeah. I got to thinking about it because I had talked to you, and I don't have that many quilts here. I've given most of mine away. Yeah. Or sold them. And I got to kind of adding up, and I had quite a few quilts there <laughs> for a while. Some of those, I would say, were a favorite quilt. But I never made anything that I couldn't say I can't give away. Yeah. And most of the time when I was making something, it was purposely to be given away. Charity quilts, or I used to make a lot of quilts for when I worked at the Firestone area office. People were retiring or something come up. And my favorite quilt block to make was the yellow brick road. And I used to find out the colors that the person liked, and then I would do the blocks. But I would also add in photo transfers to it. So it had personal meaning. Oh, wow. And I made quite a few of those. And then I made two quilts for my office. One when I first got there, and it was a friendship. And I had everybody sign it and kind of gave them a clue as to what was coming down the road. And then the last one I made was huge. And I had taken the friendship star. And I had taken pictures of everybody in the office and did a photo transfer. So each person was a friendship star. The lady that quilted it for me, she says, I almost couldn't get it on my on my <laughs> machine because it was so big. Oh, wow. Where did that quilt end up? It's still in the hallway at Firestone. Both oh, of them are. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's great. In fact, I have one that they are going to hang tomorrow in the, uh, we call it the fireside room. It's the main assembly room here. And I was president for two years in my guild and I got a quilt every year. The first quilt I got, I put that on my bed in the summertime. And then this second quilt was so large, I was going to hang it on my wall, but the wall wasn't tall enough. (laughs) It was about a foot short. So I said, well, you know, this is supposed to be my home. So went through several directors in that. Well, tomorrow they're going to hang my quilt. And the ladies in the guild, they all made blocks of cats because I am a confirmed cat lover. (laughs) And so they made blocks with cats in it. So it's going to hang there and everybody can see my cats. Oh, nice. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) I saw on your Facebook page that you are a cat person. Do you have a cat there with you? No, I used to. I had two. Among the other things that I had done, I fell and fractured my femur. And I was away from my apartment for about eight weeks because of rehab and that. So my one cat walked out and I never could find her. I tried. And then the other cat was really sick. So I had her put to sleep. Oh, I still miss them. Sometimes when I'm in bed reading, it almost feels like I feel them jump up on the bed. It's like, oh, so I sure would like to have another one. Yeah. Where I live now, they want $1,000 for a pet deposit. Oh, wow. So (laughs) that's why I watch the kitten channel on YouTube all the time. Once things get going again and everything, I'm going to try to volunteer. We have the regular animal place, but then we have one called Spoke Animal. 
and they also take the animals in and then they have a program every Tuesday on this one TV channel. They show animals for up for adoption mm-hmm. and they show them and tell about them and then where you can go and see them if you'd like to adopt them. Yeah. So I'd like to work for them. Okay. I'm back to quilting for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like each step of the quilting process, or is there one or two steps you like more than the others? I like each step. I was very fortunate that I was able to take two classes from Sally Collins, and she believes in the process instead of, you know, getting through it and getting it done and everything. Mm -hmm. And so that slowed me down and made me think and appreciate each step that you take in doing the quilting. The steps I least like, I'm really not fond of the cutting. I have a tendency to sweat to death. I don't know what it is about it. And then that's about it. Up until I moved here, I didn't quilt my own quilts. And you always sent them out. So now I'm in the process of learning how to machine quilt. Well, I've done hand quilting, but not on big pieces. Uh-huh. So I've done that. But actually, you know, the thing I like the best is doing the binding, sewing the binding down. Huh, do you know why? have no idea. I think <laughs> it's calming. I can sit here and just work on it. You know, there's no rush on it. And I just really enjoy it. And sometimes what I do when I'm quilting, I have the Harry Potter series on audio. Uh And I'll put that on and listen to that. But when I'm doing the binding, I'll put my stereo on and listen to music. Yeah. Now tell me about your worst quilting experience. The one I remember the most, I was making a quilt for my best friend's husband. And he's into Route 66. And they had fabric with Route 66 on it. And I was at this, it wasn't a retreat, but it was a group of us that got together to quilt at this shop. And I decided to make him a quilt with this fabric and everything. And that was the quilt from hell. (laughs) I couldn't read the directions right. I kept sewing stuff wrong and had to redo it. I was so glad when I finally got that thing finished. That was about the worst experience I had that I can think of right away. Yeah. There's been others. Our guild used to go down to Temecula to a nunnery (laughs) for a retreat. And I remember I went down one time. I had all my sewing stuff and I got down there. I forgot to put my underclothes in. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to root stuff out that night. And, Um. uh, but that was kind of harrowing. It's like, oh, my God, I don't believe I did this. <laughs> so, but those are really the only worst things I can think of. Yeah. I'm curious why you make quilts. Why do you think you spend your time making quilts rather than doing something else with that time? Well, I think it's because it became a, I don't know if I'd call it an obsession, a passion with me. I needed it at the time. I could focus all of my energies and my thinkings and everything on it. And I just became fascinated with it. And like I said, I made all these friends and I had places to go and people to see. And I'm kind of a social butterfly. 
mm-hmm. as they used to say. And so it filled a need in me. And then I like helping people. So making the quilts for charity, I enjoyed doing that because except for my mother, my family, you know, they didn't want quilts. So it's like, okay, well, I'll go ahead and do it for other people. Mm-hmm. And so that's mainly what I do. I think you just answered the next question, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's who you make them for, is mm-hmm. for charity yeah. and others. Yeah. And then, like I said, when I was down in California, you know, it's somebody, I need to quit. Oh, okay, I'll make it, you know. But up here, it's a little bit different. I make the quilts for people. In fact, I had the quilt already made. It was a workshop that I took down in California. But two of the residents here got married. And so I thought, what can I do for a gift, you know, because it's like they got two households kind of. Oh, yeah. So I had a quilt. And so I gave them a quilt for a wedding present. Nice. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a his or a hers. It was theirs. That's really cool. It was theirs. Right. And then there's not that many people here in my facility that do sewing or have sewing machines and that. So we've gotten some new people in that are interested in quilting. And I'd like to get a group together and make quilts for Quilts of Valor. Oh, that would be neat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just looked down at my list. It's, what are you working on right now? And I'm thinking, <laughs> did she just answer that again? <laughs> but, well, kind of, sort of. Really, I read, you know, where they've gotten these quilts done or... These projects, they don't have any more UFOs. And I just sit here and all I do is sit and watch TV. My get up and go got up and went. But I have a quilt on the wall. It's going to be for Quilts of Valor. And I'm finally getting my living room rearranged to where I can get in and get some sewing and stuff done. So I'm going to get working on that. i got to put the sashing on it and then decide on how I'm going to quilt it, or if I'm going to quilt it, and how I want to go about that. And then I've got several other projects. I keep printing out quilt patterns and stuff from different groups that I belong to on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so I've got a whole pile that I need to get working on. And I've got a whole bunch of back quarters that I need to start using. Facebook has some pretty good groups out there, don't they? Mm Mm-hmm. Every time I come across something, it seems like I'm always joining. But a lot of the people were all in the same groups. Mm-hmm. So I recognize names. Yeah, I found that too. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of nice because people that I went to high school with in Japan, we've kept up and everything. So there's several groups for ours. And then a lot of the ladies, like I said, in the different groups are people that I know down in Southern California. And so I see them and talk to them. It does make it great to keep those contacts that mm-hmm. otherwise might mm-hmm. have been lost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you share a quilting tip with me? The one that I think is the most important to me is to read the instructions through the first time. And then before you really get started, read them a second time. Because I find that I get in a hurry and, oh, I think I know what to do. And that's when I'll make a mistake. So to me, that's the most important thing is reading those instructions. 
Yeah. And that mistake mm-hmm. becomes one of our worst quilting experiences, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's where the unsewing comes in. <laughs> yeah. That's a great tip. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Casey, is there anything else you wanted to share with me? I just wish that things were a little bit friendlier here in Spokane. One of the problems is just about the time I broke my femur, my neighbor also wrecked my car. Oh, no. So I don't have a car. And I haven't really missed it because they do have this system here in Spokane. It's called paratransit. And you call and make a reservation. And they come and pick you up. It costs $2 one way. And so I do my doctor's appointments. Or in the case of the quilt guild, when I go up to the quilting bee, I'd go up there, stay the day, and then come back. Or if I wanted to go shop, I'd love Walmart and Joanne's, <laughs> two places I've been going lately. So I do that. But you don't get to meet people to do things with there. Yeah. And the thing, too, is even though I've been here, what, seven years now, I'm a newbie. You know, most of the people here, they grew up here. Yeah. And they, you know, lived here and that. And it's a lot different when you've got your friends from grade school and high school than someone new comes in. So mm-hmm. it takes a little while to get acclimated yeah. and everything. Yeah. But I think that's what's so good about the guilds. They really help. There's some good ones out there. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being willing to let me interview you. Oh, I've enjoyed myself. I'd talk all night long if you'd let me. (laughs) (laughs) You take care. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.